Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed Over the summer, dozens of Bay Area cities protested the killing of George Floyd. A lot of these cities are in the suburbs and aren't known for showing up in the streets. But that's been changing. And now that activism has carried over into many local elections. And I think for Walnut Creek residents who who do want change, I think the city council race is also a choice of How much change does Walnut Creek really want? We're spending the next few episodes looking at three different Bay Area cities and how issues around policing and racial justice are showing up in this election and beyond. Today, we're looking at Walnut Creek, where local activism this summer has led to the most contested city council race in years. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Walnut Creek is this uh, suburb that I think a lot of people usually associate with its beautiful downtown shopping center. For a lot of people, this really wealthy and predominantly white suburb of the Bay Area. Erica Cruz Guevara is a producer for the Bay. It wasn't really a place where I like 
assumed there was very much activism. It wasn't really a place that I, I ever really associated with protests around racial justice. And so I was really interested in um, finding out what's kind of motivating people there to, to activate. Which is why I think it's so interesting that there were protests there following the George Floyd killing in Minneapolis. What, what was the impact that those protests had on Walnut Creek, especially when it comes to issue of racism and policing? Yeah, I think that the June 1st protest for George Floyd and for Black Lives Matter was really a turning point for a lot of people in Walnut Creek. This was for a lot of people in Walnut Creek, their first protest. Specifically, a lot of young, white teenagers. Um, There were about 2,000 people who showed up and marched through downtown Walnut Creek, you know, this shopping center that we all know about, and were really activated by this moment and were really determined to kind of come out and show that, like, Walnut Creek also believes that Black Lives Matter. Juliet, lots of first-time protesters in the crowd here today. They are on the march right now through downtown Walnut Creek. That is Civic Park behind me. They left about 20 minutes ago chanting things like George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, trying to make their point to the people here in Walnut Creek. The response from police was, in a lot of people's minds, very violent. And this was the first time that they were really seeing their police department come out in this way in response to what some people would describe as like the in-group of Walnut Creek, you know, like white, wealthy folks, white teenagers. Move out of the way. Out of the way. I think it was a turning point for a lot of people because there were these videos that people were seeing from the streets of tear gas being deployed. Gas is being deployed. Move out of the way. Move out of the way. Gas is being deployed. Of people getting arrested and hit with rubber bullets. Um, There were reports of police dogs. And I think a lot of people were really shocked by that. This June 1st protest for Black Lives in Walnut Creek was also a turning point for some people because it was the first time that they heard the name Miles Hall who was a 23-year-old black Walnut Creek resident who was shot and killed by local police in 2019. Like, how did you come to know Miles' name? Was it kind of coinciding with what was happening nationally with, like, the George Floyd protests and things like that? Um, I think it was definitely after George Floyd died. Um... I think I had been following a lot of the local protest accounts and all of them had been tagging Justice for Miles Hall in their posts. And I was like, who's this? But I was like, oh, oh dear. I talked with this 16-year-old high school student named Moxie Marsh who um, heard about Miles Hall for the first time during a rally um, where Miles Hall's mother came to speak. And... She had no idea that Miles Hall was shot and killed by her local police department just a year earlier. Especially because Walnut Creek's so white, it's like basically everyone who didn't already know about it was white. And so now we're all kind of 
oh, <laughs> at the same time, we're all having that thought process at the same time. She was shocked to hear about what had happened to him. And she was even more shocked to learn that Miles Hall had gone to the same elementary school as her and um, had gone to, I believe, the same high school as her. It made me so sad to be like, because I was like, I still go to that campus all the time. I was like, I like walk on the same halls that Miles was walking in and he's not even alive anymore. And it just made me so sad. And I was like, okay, time to step up. Can you explain to me what happened in the shooting death of Miles Hall by Walnut Creek Police? So Miles Hall was killed on June 2nd, 2019, while in the middle of a mental health crisis. Miles's family had a relationship with the Walnut Creek Police Department. They had interacted with Walnut Creek Police before. One of the five officers who actually showed up that day had interacted with Miles's family on multiple occasions. Um, so he was no stranger to them. 911 dispatchers were getting calls from Miles's family. First, it was his grandmother um, who was concerned that her grandson was um, getting violent. And then later, it was Miles Hall's mother, Ton Hall, who called 911 and very calmly um, told them that her son was being violent and that he was threatening her, that he had a metal pole, and that he was struggling with mental health problems. Five Walnut Creek police officers arrive. Um, Miles is running through the neighborhood with this pole. An officer shoots uh, beanbags at Miles, is kind of less than lethal rounds. Miles kind of keeps on going. And then uh, police shoot Miles with their handguns and they try and uh, do CPR on him. And um, he's transferred to the John Muir Hospital where he later dies from his injuries. For Ton, obviously, this is the worst thing that could that could happen. And it's interesting to me that she had talked to police before about Miles. Like, she had almost worked with police before. Did she say anything about how Miles' death changed the way she felt about Walnut Creek or the police? Yeah, I mean, it was, I think it was really huge for her. So I did all the things that I thought were going to protect him. She told me about how knowing that her son was a black man who struggled with uh, his mental health, she knew the kind of dangers that that could put him in just as a black man living in this world and on top of that having struggling with his mental health. And she really thought that she could trust um, that if she told her neighbors, if she let them know about what Miles was struggling with, and if she had created a relationship with her local police department, that the people in her community um, and, and her local police department could help and keep him safe. But now I'm learning more 
you know, about really the true colors of some of the people that are living here in Walnut Creek and have certain perceptions of what happened to Miles and what happened to our family, you know? So it's just, it is like, just like with the city council, I feel like, you know, there's just a lack of compassion, less of lack of urgency. Um, when, you know, community, community member dies and is shot and murdered, you know, in, in their communities, it would seem like there should be more outrage from, from the leaders. I think what happened to him made her really question, like, who is my family supposed to turn to? Who is any other family who struggles with someone who struggles with their mental health? Like, who are they supposed to go to? So what what was Tawn and, and her friends and family hoping to do in the immediate aftermath of Miles's death? What did they want at that time? After Miles Hall was killed by Walnut Creek police on June 2nd, 2019, the friends of Scott, Alexis, and Ton Hall, otherwise known as this FOSAF group, showed up to every single city council meeting since then and has been. Miles Hall's family really wanted, you know, the police officers involved in Miles's shooting to not return back into the community. The earliest officer to return to the force returned eight days after the shooting. We weren't even asking for those officers to be fired. We were just asking for them to be removed off the street. And that could have been a really good faith gesture for the community to make more, to create more healing within the community. And they also wanted to see the city council really move quickly to make sure that something like this didn't happen again. And they wanted the city to kind of really act quickly to create a 24-7 mobile mental health crisis response team, something completely separate from the police that could be dispatched to the middle of a mental health crisis without weapons, you know, without badges, without batons, to really help people in crisis. You know, it's my obligation. It's our family's duty now. That's why we're, you know, we created the foundation. And because I feel like Miles would have wanted that. He would have wanted his life to mean something because he, he can't now, he's not able to do anything, right? He's, he's not alive. So now it's our mission to, to do that work in his honor, in his name. Coming up, how a national movement for Black Lives has put more pressure on the Walnut Creek City Council and turned some residents into candidates this election. Hey there, this is Alan Monticilio. I'm the editor of The Bay. KQED is hoping to learn more about how you listen to podcasts and what you love about them. So if you have just 10 minutes to spare, please fill out our podcast survey. It's at kqed.org slash podcast survey. I know there's so much going on right now, but if you have the time, we'd really, really appreciate it. This will help us, help me, Devin, Erica, all of us at KQED continue to bring you shows that matter to you. So once again, that's kqed.org slash podcast survey. And thanks. Even though Miles was killed more than a year ago, it sounds like the killing of George Floyd really brought the city's attention to Miles Hall and his family, at least more than before, I should say. Yeah, definitely. 
People just like to think that these social problems, it's its not Walnut Creek, you know, it's not us. I also spoke with a, another high school student named Lucas Carboni, who learned about what happened to Miles Hall a couple of months after the fact, maybe like five or six months later. He learned about it through working on his school newspaper. And he even says like back then, like five or six months after the shooting, like even he was like, still one of the few people in his circle who knew the name Miles Hall. It's more like people just tried to live in Walnut Creek to, so that they didn't have to deal with problems that like people thought, oh yeah, this is not our problem. This is something that's happening maybe um, in Almina County or it's happening in East County, but it's it's not necessarily happening in Walnut Creek. But then like after the June 1st protests this year, since the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery and so many other people, um, I think the name Miles Hall really kind of started to pop up again um, in, a, in a real way at these rallies. I think a lot of other people learned about it. When there was these George Floyd protests, people just like Googled Walnut Creek Police Department um, struggles with race or whatever, and that just popped up. I think that's how a lot of people learned about it. And that rally, that June 1st one, was also a turning point for Lucas because he knew the name Miles Hall. He had known what happened to him. He had known what what police's response was to, to his, his crisis. But he had never seen the police um, enact an intense form of, of violence and response to the protesters. I do think what we've seen since June 1st would be amongst the protesters kind of a, an, a hardening because because people did that against them. I think people really hardened. Certainly, I know that I hardened my, my views of, of policing on that day. After the death of, of George Floyd, you saw a lot of people in Walnut Creek really becoming more active in, in local politics, not just on the streets uh, via these protests, but also at City Hall and at City Council meetings. It's not about whether you have no police at all, which I don't think anybody is advocating for. We're certainly not at BOSA. Um, and it's also not about over-policing, certainly demilitarizing the police. I don't think that we're the military, we're civilians, and we don't deserve to be met with militarized uh, force. A better use of police funds would be social services addressing the causes of crime head-on summarized in a resident's slogan to defund WCPD and reinvest in community. We just laid off 14 arts positions in the atrocious budget that you passed two weeks ago. And I think this shows just how out of sync this council is with what the community needs. Has there been backlash from other residents? Oh, yeah. I've lived in Walnut Creek most of my life. And I've lived in Walnut Creek for 33 years. Um, my parents have lived here most of their lives. Do not defund the Walnut Creek Police Department. I have never experienced or seen so much crime in this community as I have over the last six months. Walnut Creek enjoys a good, safe community simply because of the quality of our police force. I think a lot of people will tell you in Walnut Creek that while there's also a rise in people saying defund the police and a rise in people saying justice for Miles Hall, that at the same time, there's been a doubling down from kind of the other camp in the community that really 
loves their local law enforcement and trusts local law enforcement. And those people have also been showing up to, to City Hall as well. So what did the city do in response to all this new public pressure from this past summer and into this fall? I think we're ready for the staff report. May we please have it? In September of this year, the Walnut Creek City Council received and accepted this report that basically outlines the various things that the city and its police department has done to kind of uh, respond to some of these demands. Good evening, Madam Mayor and fellow city council members. As uh, city manager just mentioned, I'm Captain Jay Hill from your Walnut Creek Police Department. I'm going to talk to you about... Uh, Walnut Creek Police Captain uh, Jay Hill announced some, some changes to officers' use of force policy. They announced a ban to the use of the carotid restraint hold on suspects. And they announced that they were purchasing more non-lethal options for helping to stop um, suspects. They also announced some changes to how they would respond to people in mental health crises. Um, The police department is creating kind of its own 24-7 a mobile crisis response team that will be consisted of trained police officers. And the city, meanwhile, is contributing $100,000 to work on building a countywide 24-7 mental health response team that is consisted not of police officers, but of trained mental health kind of crisis responders. As your council knows, but I think bears repeating, this has been an absolute priority for your council, for staff, for the city overall, uh, only possibly outdone by COVID-19 in the response to the pandemic. But the two hand in hand have been by far the two major work efforts over the course of this past year. So, so it seems like there's going to be two kinds of mental health emergency response systems in Walnut Creek, one with the police and one without. Why is that? Uh, Walnut Creek PD kind of explained it by saying that they still believe that police are necessary to um, respond to, in particular, possibly violent mental health um, crises or situations. So while we work toward a non-law enforcement response to these non-violent, non-volatile mental health calls, we believe there is still a need for law enforcement response to violent or volatile calls for service. Now, I know that these kinds of programs are happening all over the Bay Area, specifically dealing with mental health. How did people in in Walnut Creek, the activists who are calling for this, respond to the changes that the city and the police department say that they're making? I think a lot of people were still unsatisfied with the city and the police department's response, in particular because of how long it's taken. It's more than a year after Miles' death. um, And, you know, there were some folks who really believe that city council didn't start moving on any of these changes that, that... the Hall family has been asking for for more than a year now until the death of George Floyd. It felt really disingenuous, I think, to a lot of people that City Hall um, was now moving. Do you think that a lot of the frustration is because they feel like the council 
is also not making its decisions fast enough because they don't know what to do or because there's not the political will to make those decisions more quickly. Yeah, I think a lot of people for the past couple of months uh, or for the past year have really described what they see as a defensive city council, one that has not wanted to admit and own up to its mistakes. And there was actually this really amazing moment at this meeting between Ton and Mayor Loella Haskew, who, you know, they know each other very well at this point. Hello, I just wanted to um, thank you guys for um, putting this us on the agenda tonight. Um, and Ton is responding to some of these changes. You know, it's like, where were you guys for the leap? For the last year and it really does feel that whether you guys are meeting with us 30 times during the year it took close out all the initiative to make those happen so it's just the question is it's like we need you guys to we need the leadership and that's why we need fresh new leadership um, to come in and to make that change and to be innovative and creative and, and the mayor responds and says and, um, like you know what do you mean like we we met, didn't we meet with you? Well, I met with you and Cindy as well. And you guys. Oh, yeah, yes. Did you not? Did you? That was after, after I screamed at you guys and yelled at you four months later. So that's all I'm saying. Um, but we do need, we need leadership to show up. I think it was July. Well, all I know is what it was when I basically got in your faces and screamed and yelled and patted my, you know, because it was, I was we're, just. We're not, we're not, right. We're not going to argue with Tommy. Okay. Thank you. And then afterwards, a bunch of people just are even more angered by by that exchange. Arguing with a grieving mother is really unbecoming of a leader, a person elected to represent the citizens of Walnut Creek. Um, it's amazing to me how what gets a reaction and what doesn't. And um, I concur that um, the defensive posture is, is just palpable. And the rolling of the eyes and the, <laughs> the faces, it, it, everyone can see it. Um, so uh, we'll just leave that at that. So ECG, looking forward to next week, what should we know about Walnut Creek going into the election? Well, coming into next week, um, you know, Walnut Creek is also kind of in the middle of one of its most contentious city council races, most active, I'd say. Four of the eight are political newcomers who are running for three open seats. Um, and all four of these challengers have specifically said that they are motivated by varying degrees by these kind of ongoing calls for police and mental health responses. How big of a deal is it that eight people are running for city council in Walnut Creek and that so many are running because of the issue of policing, which in Walnut Creek hasn't been a, a, a huge part of people's campaigns in the past? Yeah, I think for a lot of people who have, especially the ones who have been protesting and waking up to all the things that are going on in their city, I think for them it's a really big deal. I think it's a big deal to have half of the candidates running be 
political newcomers. Yeah. Do you have any idea how challenging it's going to be for them to win a seat on the city council? I think it's really hard for some of these folks to to get attention. A lot of these political newcomers are running against people who have a lot of backing from the business community in Walnut Creek, which is obviously really powerful and has had a lot of influence in the city. So, um, I mean, yeah, I think it is. I think it's an uphill battle to kind of get your name known, especially in the middle of a pandemic where you can't really go around and, and meet and greet people. What happened to Miles and what these protests this summer have revealed are the ways that there are problems in in the city that people really want to see addressed. A lot of people see this race as an opportunity to really get some new blood on city council, to get some new ideas, to get a new way of thinking, to get even some diversity. And I think for Walnut Creek residents who who do want change, I think the city council race is also a choice of how much change does Walnut Creek really want. The city of Walnut Creek settled a federal civil rights lawsuit with the Hall family for $4 million. But the family says that this still doesn't bring Miles justice. The Contra Costa District Attorney's Office has an ongoing investigation that's expected to wrap up before the end of the year. The Hall family is calling for a separate independent investigation and for the state's attorney general to take up the case. Thanks to our very own producer, Erica Cruz Guevara, for reporting out this story. Coming up on Friday, what happened in Martinez after a city-approved Black Lives Matter mural was painted over? Bay is produced by ECG, Erica Cruz Guevara, and our editor, Alan Montecilio. We're made by your local public media station, KQED. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it from us. Talk to you next time. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 